Hello and welcome to this week's Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Arthur Walsh is away. A special welcome to new listeners who may have only recently discovered us, especially after last week's, well, controversial edition, which generated a huge reaction after our discussions about the RPS, and we'll discuss that a little later in the pod. But it's a new week, lots going on, so let's start with Good Week, Bad Week. Morning Rob, on location in Winchester, what have you got for us? Uh, birdsong Richard, birdsong, and uh, but yes, to the main point of the, of the conversation. Uh, good Week this week for me, um, Community Pharmacy Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Now the story came out, um, came out earlier the week that um, the, the community pharmacy Great Glasgow and Clyde had written to or was in contact with contractors in its locality, urging them essentially to say no to the very generous offer from an unnamed medical support organisation that has won a, a number of tenders in the area for a travel vaccination service. Uh, pharmacies should say no to that service, that very generous offer of about half the remuneration that they might have got having won the contract directly themselves. Um, so uh, it remains to be seen, obviously, whether pharmacies sort of um, follow down that path and do essentially say thanks but no thanks to this particular offer. Um, but it does leave the um, whatever the medical support organisation is in, in a bit of a bind, in a way, uh, if this does follow through, because they've got um, they've got some services to to, to supply. But um, their preferred route, which was to use community pharmacies, the community pharmacy network, a great place for travel vaccinations, um, uh, they, they haven't quite connected with them in advance. And they're now running around trying to, to fill the gap. Um, it reminds me a little bit of when um, the erstwhile Secretary of State for Transport, um, Mr Grayling, uh, contracted with a company called Seaborne Freight to, to do some... Um, importing uh, across the channel uh, and it turned out that Seaborne Freight didn't have any ships so we've got we've got a situation here with a, a company that's contracted to provide a service and doesn't currently have any outlets from which to provide that so uh, I hope that uh, community pharmacies in the area think very carefully about uh, how to deal with this and I hope they follow the great advice of their the local representatives in um, saying no thanks uh, not for that amount of money we're worth more than that. Oh, we haven't mentioned failing grailing on the pod for a while. Um, but Rob, how does pharmacy present itself then when these kinds of commissioning opportunities come up? Um, good point, Richard. Uh, now, people, long-standing listeners to the to the pod will know I'm a bit of a fan of uh, the modus operandi of community pharmacy provider companies because I think what they what they get right initially is they get the network side right, so they can go into uh, tender tender operations with a ready formed means of delivering a service. Um, they often run at a very much on a model which returns most of the uh, most of the remuneration within the service back to the to the member uh, pharmacies. And so you know there's a big win 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 there for for, for patients for um, commissioners who want the service delivered and for community pharmacies and delivering service. So um, 
you know, I think it may be that this sort of uh, contractual model is quite new in Scotland. Obviously, we've got plenty of commissioning groups and things in in England that have been uh, commissioning local services for quite some time now, and we have some uh, provider companies in in England which are uh, which have grown and have, have got a bit of a track record now, so they can add a track record to the fact that they've got a, a network that can deliver services, so that they they tick a number of boxes when they go into go into a tender situation. Um, but I think it's it's about really realizing what the value of community pharmacy is and the value of a network and using that as a as a real big opportunity within any kind of tender response to say not only can we can we do this we've got the network oh and by the way they're already signed up to deliver this so go with us because we don't have to rush rush around afterwards and try and find people to deliver something the other great thing about the network is it's where people are so it, it's not a case of, you know, ultimately putting a, a clinic or putting a, a service unit into somewhere that uh, that people locally are not used to using. You're putting it directly into a community, into a community, uh, if you use a community pharmacy network. So I think we just need to be a little bit more uh, clever about how we think about how you reflect the power of the network inside a, 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 a response to a tender. Yes, some really interesting stuff happening at the moment with provider companies. And I know you cover a lot of that in in P3, Rob, and it's something I'd recommend our listeners look out for. So, Neil, let's come to you. Your turn. Good week or bad week? It's been a good week for the Pharmacist Defence Association. Uh, I think that's my choice for this week. Um, And it's the latest in the spat between the PDA and the CCA, the Company Chemist Association. Uh, of course, um, fairly recently we had uh, the revelation, if you can call it that, that no CCA member had signed up to the PDA Safer Pharmacies Charter for over four years after it was launched in the House of Commons. Um, and there was a bit of a heated debate between the two over that one. Um, the CCA basically said that they didn't need to sign up to it. And I think it was a kind of don't push us around uh, response from the CCA to the PDA. Um, now we have. The latest uh, instalment in this, um, in this, I suppose you call it spat, um, with the PDA cl- uh, launching a survey, a recent survey that basically challenged the CCA's claim that re- NHS recruitment and changing working practice, uh, working patterns, were, were the reason behind what they think, what they've described as a, a shortfall of three thousand pharmacists in England. Um, and this PDA uh, survey, I mean, it's. it's important to, to clarify right from this right from the offset that the pda reject completely the the, the cca's uh, um um suggestion that uh, that those are the reasons behind that this, this, this supposed shortfall the pda survey says that unsatisfactory pay and working environments a lack of professional fulfillment and poor management are are the real reasons behind the, the large multiples struggle to employ pharmacists um so basically, just in a nutshell, for those who haven't haven't seen the, the survey, the, the PDA launched a survey of more than two and a half thousand pharmacists, and they scrutinised the RP, uh, CCA's um, explanations uh, for this shortage over the last five years. And there's a survey found uh, that significant numbers of um, employed and locum pharmacists working in CCA member companies are looking to move on to another sector, or quit, or shockingly, as, as the PDA described it, quit pharmacy altogether. Um, so you had 54% saying that they were looking for a change in job in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, you you had uh, 63% of respondents saying they did not believe there was a shortage of pharmacists. Um, and, you know, 20, uh, 11% planned to retire. 27% they said they wanted to leave pharmacy completely. So, I mean, pretty 
pretty damning uh, uh, findings uh, from this survey. Now, this kind of triggered a, as you, you might imagine, a, a, a bit of a to and froing. Um, CCA responded. Uh, they they questioned the size of the survey. Uh, Malcolm Harrison, the CCA chief executive, said that this is a a pretty small, by and large, a pretty small survey. Um, you know, less than five percent of registered pharmacists were covered in this survey, and that needs to be taken into consideration when drawing any findings. So he's immediately cast or tried to cast doubt on this PDA survey. Um, you know, and. And he, you know, he went on to say, Harrison. He said that uh, you know he wasn't surprised to hear that a large proportion of respondents to the survey were were choosing to work part time, and that was something that they'd highlighted in their report. Um, and this is what he said: he said that this, this alongside the primary care network recruitment drive led by the NHS, has resulted in a need for more pharmacists for the same amount of pharmacy time. This shortfall, recorded in our community pharmacist workforce review of the entire pharmacy sector, so he's picking up his own their own uh, data source um, has been calculated using the largest and most robust data from NHS uh, from Health Education England and the General Pharmaceutical Council. So he's clearly saying there that, you know, our data was robust. There's nothing wrong with what we said. Our 3000 shortfall figure is absolutely correct and and, and robust. And the PDA survey is rather, you know, uh, questionable. Um, Now, this isn't my I've given the CCA. uh, I've given the PDA a good week for this one, uh, purely because I think, that you know, we have we have we have had reports of branches, you know, Lloyd's and and, and some boots branches that we've seen the reports of things not going terribly well in these branches. Um, nobody wants to paper over the cracks here, um, least of all the PDA. Uh, Mark, Mr. Mark Cosiel, the PDA chairman, said it was alarming that pharmacists working in CCA companies had chosen to leave the profession, and he urged uh, CCA employers to face up to their responsibility for the, for those working environments um, and 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 not. You know, resort to playing victims of a, a supposed national shortage of pharmacist pharmacists. Um, I'm with the PDA on this one. I, you know, I, I I think that the CCA do have to uh, you know look close to home and 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 not try to uh, um, you know paper over the cracks if that's what they're trying to do. And I I I, I, you know, I give a lot of credit to the PDA for for sort of exposing this and 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 uh, and attacking this and. Um, this is why I've put them in my good week. So it's the latest in a in a in in the spat between the CCA and the PDA. Good week for the PDA for me. Yes, PDA and the CCA in a bit of a tit for tat spat at the moment. I just sigh at this point and repeat what I said last week. Really, I just wish they'd stop point scoring and work together to try and find some solutions to the workforce crisis. The only way the sector could begin to get a handle on this is through collaborative effort workforce, working conditions, pharmacy safety, everyone has a stake in it. It's everyone's problem, employers and employees alike, including the government, and certainly funding comes into this. We need some shared solutions, this constant bickering, just not helping anyone. Right, my turn, Um, and I'm going to go for bad week for the responsible pharmacist regulations, in particular the advanced declaration aspect of said regulations. Bit of a strange one, this. It came out of nowhere, really, and I'll come back to why that might be later. But anyway, this is where uh, the advanced declaration is, where companies use a loophole, really, in the responsible pharmacist regulations, whereby a pharmacist can sign in as the RP without actually being in store. Uh, This quickly became part of normal practice under the the two-hour absence stipulation under the RP regs, as we all know, um, 
a responsible pharmacist can can leave the pharmacy uh, for a two or up to a two hour period. Whether this is within the spirit of the regulations or <clears throat> is actually acceptable practice is, is another matter entirely. Pharmacists have long been deeply uncomfortable with this. The thinking from the employer's viewpoint is that this allows pharmacy teams to get ahead with prescription assembly when the store is closed, whereas the PDA and others have long argued that it is unsafe and puts unnecessary pressure on the RP with companies using the mechanic as an operational, almost routine procedure uh, when it should be a matter of professional discretion. Oh, and pharmacists don't get paid for this either, so it's about saving money. So, anyway, as I say, this kicked off on Twitter this week, as these things do. Now, the, the RP regulations have been in place since 2010, so this is nothing new. In fact, and I think Rob can correct me here if I'm wrong, uh, the regulations were virtually the last thing introduced by the old RPSGB when it was the regulator. So why the fuss this week? Well, I don't think it's entirely coincidental that the profession is once again considering modernising the supervision requirement, always a thorny subject, as listeners will be aware. And what people sometimes forget is that when the RP regulations were introduced in 2010, they were meant to form part of much wider reforms to personal control and supervision, and the supervision part of that never happened because of strong opposition from the PDA and others, concerned that it could be a, a Trojan horse for remote supervision. So, strap yourselves in. Battle lines are being drawn. I think supervision is going to be the big issue of 2022. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, I think you've, you've uh, described the situation very well, Richard. The one thing I would add is I think that uh, you said you're not sure whether uh, the advanced declaration is in the spirit of the regulations. Um, it's not really in the spirit of the regulation, certainly not how they were originally presented. Um, the issue there was a, re a recognition that uh, from time to time, community pharmacists might need to leave the pharmacy for a short period of time in order to continue or to complete an episode of care. And that um, while the personal control rules were being interpreted as they were being interpreted pre the RP regulations, um, pharmacists were essentially being prevented from leaving for short periods or knew that when they did leave for short periods they were leaving a pharmacy without um, without the personal control uh, rules that, that were in place so um, so you know that's the background to it so the idea now that the full two hours within the regulations are being um, used up before the day actually starts in a pharmacy that's clearly not what the regulations were intended to to allow um, and as you say, Richard, the, the, this kind of loophole exploiting happened very early on, as soon as the regulations are on the statute book. Um, the only other thing I would add is that from memory, it was actually the RPS that wanted the two-hour limit. And at the time where we were going was to have um, to have an allowance that, that um, responsible pharmacists could leave the pharmacy from time to time to complete or, as I say, continue an episode of care outside the pharmacy. Um, but there was going to be no, originally there was a plan to be no um, time limit put in place and that, you know, in, in the usual way that a lot of regulations are, are written, um, any pharmacist who, you know, for instance, decided to disappear for an eight hour shift um, while the pharmacy was continuing to operate in their absence would be required to justify how patient safety and everything else was being maintained in their absence. 
Um, so, so yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head as well as to why this suddenly cropped up now again. So let's finish by reflecting on the big story of last week, potential redundancies at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society at the senior executive level. Now, our stories on this and podcast discussion generated a, a huge reaction uh, with a vast majority of readers and listeners very concerned at what this might mean for the society and the profession going forward. Neil, what did you make of it all? Well, I, I mean, wow, it, it got a it got quite a response, didn't it? Um, and uh, and rightly so. Um, you know, these huge decisions that the RPS are taking, um, rightly questioned as well by, as we know, Keith Ridge and, and others. Um, I, honestly, I, I was I was I was happy that it got response it got because it deserved a huge uh, um, exposure and, and focus. But I, I was a bit disappointed with some of the criticism that we received on Twitter for breaking the story. And I found that, I found that really bizarre, actually. Um, the one thing that our re without wanting to criticize our readers too much, uh, some of them anyway, um, the one thing they should be uh, looking to, to, to do is to be curious about what's going on. They should be fascinated and, 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 and want to know what's going on behind closed doors, not just at the RPS, by the way, but, uh, you know, all organizations that purport to represent, represent them. And, and I was just disappointed. It was almost as if some, not everyone, but some, some, uh, tweeters, shall we say, were, were, were sort of almost attacking us, I think, criticizing us for, for, for the story. And was it a leak? Why, what if it was a leak? You know, that's not a good thing. Well, I, you know, I'm of the view as a journalist, I'm of the view that if it's a leak or not, so what, you know, it's, it's a story and it's our job in the journalism profession to keep our ears close to the ground, eyes peeled. And, and, and if we get a leak and we report on it and it fair, we should be getting praised for that, not, not criticised. And I just was a bit disappointed with some of the, uh, some of the criticism that we, we got. Um, whether we like it or not, you know, and um, we have discussed this, haven't we? You know, yes, Robbie Turner and, and Gail Fleming are uh, human beings at the end of the day, but they're also news and it's important to know what's, what's been going on. So I think I, I just thought, we, we were criticised um, rather unfairly by some people on, on Twitter. And um, it doesn't, it won't soften my, I'm sure it won't soften your resolve, Richard, or, or Rob's or any of our resolves to, to continue reporting the news. But uh, it, it's, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, quite frankly, with some of it. Rob, President Claire Anderson in a statement said, this is an organisational decision. It is about operational matters. RPS finances are on a secure footing and this proposal is not about cost savings. What's your view on that? I, listen, uh, Richard, I, I'm I, I'm taking that at face value. That's what the president as uh, the president's statement says. Um, I think what I would say is that um, there's a major strategic initiative in here, which is uh, potentially going to be uh, put at some risk by uh, this kind of change um, right at the top of an organisation. Um, I think we see we see you know almost weekly in the, in um, in the newspapers stories of of organisational changes that that may have a massive impact on um, the public or on the on the on the, on, a, on a company, um, and those kind of things. Uh, you know there are rules around disclosure of those kind of information in things like the stock market. So I think it is a big story, and given the. Uh, what we've heard for the last 10 years, ever since the, the RPS was created as a professional leadership body and, and regulation went to the GPHC, was that uh, the ambition for the for the organisation 
as with most professional bodies in in uh, health and medicine, um, is to be a, a royal college, and and that that uh, that then says something about your ambitions for uh, postgraduate education, uh, continuing improvement, development of the profession. Then, um, to me, that's that's a big issue that people should be con- should be interested in and uh, and follow the the outcome. And coming, you know, not that far into that program given that things are things within it are being put in place now that that strikes you as interesting to say the least so just to finish off here and, and echoing some of the things neil said really um this was a big story you know some people did question our motives and the manner in which we broke the story well our motive simply was to report a story of major interest for pharmacists and establish the facts as best we can for our readers Lots of speculation about who leaked it, should we have reported a leak, etc. Which I think is actually missing both the point and the bigger picture. Talk about shooting the messenger. And anyway, I'd prefer to call this story the result of some serious journalistic spade work. People looking for a Watergate-type deep throat will be disappointed. Now, some people criticised us for naming the individuals at the centre of the story. And, and while we are ac- acutely aware that they're this isn't some anodyne administrative process. There are real people involved here whose lives are being turned upside down. It's the sort of story where the individuals concerned are sadly indivisible from their roles, and it's their roles that are under scrutiny. Director of Education and Development and Director of Pharmacy and Member Experience. And again, for a story of such potential impact and public interest, difficult to see how we could have covered it differently. Uh, We had some comments and criticism about clickbait or reporting unsubstantiated rumours, even questioning our integrity, which was a a bit rich, but water off a duck's back, frankly. But I will say this, uh, as an editorial team, of course we make mistakes from time to time, and when we do, we put our hands up. But we have a combined total of over 80 years editorial and senior leadership experience between us. We know what we're doing and we don't publish things that we can't stack up. We stand by the story 100%. Let's see what happens. And that brings us to the, to the end of this week's podcast. My thanks to Rob and Neil. All the podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual podcast providers. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. We'll be back next week. So until then, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>